Nope, there we go. I'm just so grateful for Kayla and Riley uh, making the trek down here to be with us this morning, and I'm really grateful uh, to see you as we, yeah. Want to let you know about something that's coming up this Friday. It is officially summer. I uh, got to go body surfing this last Friday for the first time, and so now I have my first sinus infection of the summer, which is great. It means it's begun. Um, And so I I have my notes close at hand in case I totally lose track of where we're headed this morning. Otherwise, we'll be here for a very, very long time. Um, But this Friday coming up is going to be the first of three beach bonfires that we are going to have as a church community. We have them on the first, no, what is it, the third Friday of each month. So the first one is coming up. This Friday is probably ends up being the second one. I'm, I'm probably completely wrong in the information I'm giving you. Let's get it out of the way now so that it won't be during the message itself. Uh, But this Friday, June 12th, what are the details here? It's going to be from 4 to 9 p.m. at Brooker Street and PCH in Huntington Beach. So for those of you who went last year, we're planning on being at the same fire pit right next to the volleyball courts. We're planning on making pizza grilled over the flame on a shovel. We're planning on making s'more nuts, which if you haven't had one, it's a donut with a... a, um, Marshmallow, thank you, in the middle of it, grilled to perfection over the fire. We are planning at some point at one of these beach bonfires to even do a baptism this summer. We're not sure which one it is. We have some high school students who have been talking about wanting to do that. So when they are ready, one of those beach bonfires is going to be a time that we'll do that. So I want to encourage you not only to come yourself, not only plan on being there for that, but I want to encourage you to invite a neighbor, perhaps invite somebody that is on your sphere of influence card that hopefully you've been praying over regularly. Maybe invite somebody that's on there that is not part of a church community. Again, the goal here is not for us to try to steal other people out of other church communities as if we were in competition with them. The goal here is there are so many of our neighbors, so many of our coworkers and our friends from school who don't have a church community, who are trying to kind of navigate life alone. And this is a great opportunity to invite them to come hang out with some people from your community without saying, hey, come to church with me on Sunday. Um, So this Friday, and then the other thing I want to let you know about, gentlemen, we have the, we we had to take a couple years break from it, not men's breakfast, that's coming up too, and that's an important thing, but what I want to let you know about, not the church picnic either, (laughs) we're just going to figure it out eventually, is we have a men's retreat that is going to be happening in October. Um, I'm really excited about it because it's been a couple of years since COVID hit. We have not been able to do a men's retreat. I'm really looking forward to getting back up to Palomar, back up into the Cathedral of Creation with many of you to get to worship God and to dive into his word and really kind of continue to dig out what does it look like to be a man after God's own heart. So if you're interested in that men's retreat, the details of it are in your bulletin, but it's also, you can sign up at the back Um, It's going to be from October 21st through 23rd. That's a Friday through a Sunday. It's going to be up at Palomar. You can just take a picture of the QR code to sign up directly. You know, we're in the 21st century. Or if you prefer kind of a little bit more analog version, you can go to the back and we have a sign-up sheet and you can let us know you're interested. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to that. And we just wanted to give you plenty of heads up on that. With that, we are... This is... (laughs) Pastor Jeff's message last week was intended to be the last message in the, you know, Won't You Be My Neighbor series, but as he was speaking, 
it felt like there was just, God kind of laid one more message on my heart that I really feel that we need to lean into because the reality is, as we have been talking to many of you, as we've been able to, to hear back from you about how particularly these last couple of weeks talking about loneliness and isolation um, has not only affected people out there, but is affecting you, we really just wanted to lean into this one last weekend to explore what does it look like to be people who not only are known, but are the kind of people who move towards people who are lonely and isolated in our midst. A uh, couple of weeks ago, when I brought up this, uh, just this natural sense of loneliness, we, we have never lived in a time where people are more isolated, even though they're more connected in lots of kind of secondary ways like social media, we have never felt more lonely or isolated than we do right now. And a couple of weeks ago, I laid out a few of the reasons why. First, I mean, there's the number of divorces that are taking place. I can't tell you the amount of families we are walking with where as the, the, the couple separates, the entire family is affected. Their entire support structure is in limbo. Then you've got how busy we all are. Even those of you who are retired, you are busy. They often say, you know, if the enemy can't get you to sin, he'll just keep you too busy. Um, and many of us are just way, way, way too busy. We're like stones that are skipping off the surface of relationships, bouncing from connection to connection, but never being able to sink deeply into genuine, life-giving relationship. <clears throat> and then finally, we talked about how social media gives us a sense of connection, but it's not what we need. It's it's like cotton candy that tastes sweet in the moment, but ultimately it doesn't have the ability to nourish our bodies the way a face-to-face -face connection with another human being does. So those are three of the four things we looked at. But the fourth one is one that on the surface might seem really inconsequential. But it's where God has been convicting me, and it's where I want to start our conversation this morning. The fourth reason I gave a couple of weeks ago, but I want to lean into this morning, for why we have such kind of an absence of real authentic community, why we're starving for connection while we're surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of other people, is this idea that we are living in an age of wanderlust. I, for those of you who are on social media, you see the pictures of people who are traveling all over. There are some of you in here who are amazing travelers, and I get to see your pictures, and I'm like, I'm jealous for me. Like, I, the extent of it is I get to go to Back Bay. I try to do that every, you know, as many, as many mornings, early in the morning as I can. I drop my kids off. I try to take Sadie down to Back Bay and just wander because it's, there's, there's something so connecting to me. That's my Gethsemane. That's where I feel close to God. And when life gets hard, I find myself going there more often than not. But then I get to see Brandon, and he's traveling, you know, up through Northern California and seeing... Uh, sea lions and all that kind of stuff up near San Francisco, seeing the sequoias, or I, I see the Whitemans out traveling to Borrego or, or Ireland or other places. I'm like, I want to go. But the other thing I'm seeing a lot of is people who are moving out of the area, who have just decided, you know what, this place is no longer a place that I want to live. 
How many here, just, just, just in the last year, know somebody who's moved out of California, out of this area, because it just became too much for them? Either it's too expensive. Yeah, I think that most of us probably know someone. How many, if we're honest, are considering, should I go with them? Did I, did I wait too long? There's a, I, thank you for your honesty. I appreciate it. I get it. I get it. It's gotten ridiculously expensive. It's, it's gotten... It's, it's become almost where people my age or younger can't even possibly figure out how to dive into a housing market. We can't figure out how to afford living here. And for some of us, from a political standpoint, it has shifted so far to one side that we feel like strangers in a land that is no longer our own. We feel like we don't fit any longer. So how now shall we live, right? The truth is we live in a day and an age where... We are willing to change places, change locations, change communities faster and faster and faster. It used to be, I think of Merv. Here's a man who for 94 years grew up in the same city, in the same general vicinity, saw the same people, and ultimately died in the same city that he was born in. That used to be the norm. It is now the exception. Anymore, we don't get a job and stay with that company until we retire. Anymore, we get a job, and then when there's another company that's competing with our company that offers us slightly better pay or slightly better benefits, we're willing to jump quickly because that's how we get ahead. That's how we start climbing the ladder is not within the company itself, but jumping from place to place. So we jump from job to job to job. Or we have these student-athletes who go to a school because it's a top-ranked school, but they realize very quickly, I'm not going to get very much playing time, but if I go over there, I'll get more playing time. And so they jump from school to school to school. Or you have people who are looking at the housing prices around here and going, holy crud, what, what am I going to do? I can't afford, or, or my house is worth so much, you know, I, I imagine how much more land I could get somewhere else. Imagine how much more of a house I could get. I could have chickens and goats. That's my wife's dream right there. I want chickens and goats. I want to do goat yoga. <laughs> you too? Yeah, no, I'm just joking. Uh, uh, but, but just, we, we have some friends who moved to Tennessee, and she's watching them beginning to build out their their compound with all of these animals. And she's just going, that's amazing. That would be so amazing. And the reality is there's a ton of us that look out there and say the grass is greener. And even, and this wasn't in my notes, but let me just lean in for a moment. This even happens when it comes to churches. I recognize that there are a lot of wonderful churches just within driving distance. You may have even driven past a couple of really good churches on your way here. And there are some of you who are watching online right now, you may watch two or three other pastors in any given week. And you're invested here, and you're invested here, and you're invested here, and you feel like you are just getting so much good God connection. And I remember I, I was a... I was volunteering at the church I'd grown up in, Newport Mesa Church just down the street. I was volunteering in the youth department, and I was leading a life group at Rock Harbor, which was the church where I was going typically on Sundays. I was involved in these two churches, and I was about 20 years old at the time, and I remember sitting down with the pastor of Newport Mesa, 
and starting to lay out all the things I was doing for the kingdom of God, feeling like he was going to, at the end of me laying out all this stuff, just go, wow, Eric, what an amazing servant of God you are. And he totally didn't respond the way I wanted him to. He listened to it and he goes, hmm, that's interesting. So what I see, Eric, is that you have, you've kind of like got your feet in two boats. You got your foot in this boat and you lean in and you pour into the kids for a little bit. And then you got your feet in this boat and you lean in and you pour into your life group for a little bit. And if this boat starts getting a little shaky, you put your feet more firmly down in this boat. And if this boat gets shaky, you can come over here. And my guess is, Eric, you probably pour yourself out until you got, there's nothing left and everybody is left half full. Eric, real courage would be leaning into one boat, choosing one boat and putting your feet firmly in that boat for better or for worse. Because the reality is storms of life are going to come. Boats are going to shake. And we grow when we are invested, where there is no other place to go, so you lean in and you grow through it. And you have some theological differences or some relational friction with another person. And instead of just jumping from there to the next place, you lean in and you work through it and you grow. That is how God causes us to grow. And I just wonder where God would be calling you to invest. I want to challenge you to be courageous. And this wasn't in my notes, but I just want to challenge some of you. Maybe you're in this room and you are bouncing from church to church. Or maybe you're watching online, and this is how you've been doing community for the last three years, is you just watch different church communities, and you get a taste of community, but you don't really, you're not known. You're just being fed. And I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider, where is God calling you to lean in and put down roots? Which boat is he calling you to put your feet firmly in? And if you identify that, then go there. And invest, not just by watching on Sunday and not just by putting money into the offering, but by showing up and volunteering and investing yourself. We live in a day and an age where we are looking beyond the walls of ourselves to so many other areas and thinking, what's going to be in my best interest? What's going to scratch the itch? And, and it feels a little bit like we are tumbleweeds. And if you know tumbleweeds, if anybody who spent any time in the desert, you've seen these things, they grow really rapidly. But that's because they put all of their energy into a, the, what's above the ground, into their appearance, whereas beneath the ground, there is almost no root system whatsoever. And it just takes one little gust of wind to pull them out of the dirt, and along they start rolling to another place, and they just come to, they come to rest somewhere. But at that point, they're dead. They have nothing left to give. There are many of us who find ourselves in places, maybe it's a neighborhood, and you're looking at friends who are moving away, and you go, man, I wish I could move away. I think, I think maybe I will. Maybe I will move. The cost of this season of life we find ourselves in where people are moving from place to place to place is not simply that when you move, you lose that sphere of influence that God has uniquely planted you in, and now you have to go and start investing yourself in a new sphere of influence. That's true, but there's another cost, and this is the one I want to address this morning, and that cost is 
even as you are here, as you find yourself living in Costa Mesa or Fountain Valley or Huntington Beach or Newport Beach or Texas or Friday Harbor, wherever you happen to be, even as you are there, your mind is saying, well, maybe I would be happier somewhere else. And because of that, you're kind of living with your bags packed. You're not willing to put down deep roots because why would you invest in relationships if you know you're only there for a short period of time and you're leaving soon? And so there is opportunity for relationship around you, but you're not taking it. There's opportunity for you to serve, but you're not invested because you don't know how long you're going to be here. There might be another church that is doing a series that you like better than the one that I'm going to do next. There might be a, another job that is going to offer you better benefits than the ones you've got. So why really invest in relationships? Why pour into your sphere of influence there? There might be another neighborhood and another community of people that you're going to find yourself living with, with a year, two years from now. So why invest in the people around you right now? And, in the, and because we are living with our bags packed, because we have shallow roots and we're not willing to invest deeply, not only do we lose out on the kind of community that we long for, that we were created for, but we miss out on being agents who can begin to develop that kind of community, that can begin to terraform the land in which God has uniquely planted us. But there's lots of reasons to go. Lots of reasons to look elsewhere. Again, we don't feel like we belong here. We feel like we don't even recognize the land in which we live. We feel like we are aliens and strangers living someplace that has left us behind. I would imagine that that is a very similar feeling that the Jews felt after they had been conquered by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar. And they were carted away from Jerusalem, away from the promised land, and they were transplanted in Babylon. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. As you're going there, it's toward the center of your Bible. If you just open your Bible right in the middle, you'll find yourself in the Psalms or the Proverbs. Go right. If you hit Isaiah, keep going right. Jeremiah is right after Isaiah. Jeremiah was a prophet that God began to speak through to the people of Israel that had been carted off from the promised land. He was speaking to people who, like many of us, felt like they didn't belong in the land to which they had been carried, felt like they were aliens in their own community. They weren't living in the promised land. They were living in pagan territory, surrounded by unbelievers. And they figured they were only going to be there for a short time. Again, it's Jeremiah chapter 29. They figured they were only going to be there for a short time, and so... They began to be hesitant about investing themselves. Why build a house if you know you're not going to be there for very long? Why plant trees, fruit trees, if you know that you're only going to be there for a short period of time and somebody else is going to enjoy the fruit? Why even bother? Why have children and bring them into this land that is not home? 
And so they were hesitant to invest. And like tumbleweeds, they were just waiting for the gust of breeze, for the Holy Spirit to blow them on back to the promised land. And into that mindset, listen to the words that God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel who are in captivity in a, in a land that they do not consider to be their home, in a place where they don't want to be. Listen to the words that God speaks to them. Verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of you I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters away in marriage so that they too might have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Notice that God has carried them there. God has sovereignly placed them there. They don't want to be there. It's not where they feel like is home. They don't identify with Babylon, but God has sovereignly planted them in that soil. And seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What is, I can only imagine that God's words to these exiles living in Babylon would have come as a shock to them. What are you talking about, God? This isn't where we belong. This isn't where we want to be. Our heart is in Jerusalem. You got us here. And instead of you saying, hey, I've got you, I'm going to bring you back soon, you're saying, get comfortable, you're going to be there for a while. A little bit later, he says, it's going to be about 70 years, so get real comfortable. It's going to be a couple of generations before you see home again. So rather than living as tumbleweeds with really shallow roots, not willing to invest yourself, I'm calling you to invest yourself into the place that you find yourself. Build homes, plant vineyards, plant gardens that you can enjoy the fruit and other generations can. Have children, give your children away in marriage, get comfy because this is where I have you for right now, so invest yourself. Oh, and by the way, while you are there and while you are settling in and making a home for yourself, seek the peace and the prosperity of the land into which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for that city, because as it prospers, you will prosper. Now, before we begin to unpack what it means to seek the peace and the prosperity of a city, it would be really helpful for us to define our terms. And the words that our, our Bible translates as peace and prosperity, or later on in the verse, just prosperity, it's actually a single Hebrew word, one that you're probably familiar with. That word is shalom. Another way of saying this is seek the shalom of the city into which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for as it experiences shalom, you will experience shalom. We Back in November or December, as we were getting ready for Christmas, we explored this idea of shalom, biblical shalom. 
When we think about shalom, it is most often translated as peace. And when we think of the word peace, our minds naturally go to a lack of conflict. So, my thinking is, I will not have peace in my home until my sons stop bickering. Once they stop bickering, as if, if, if those of you who have par- you parents that have kids older, does it ever stop while they live in your home? So when they move out, I will have peace in my home. No, oh, I'm married, right? Oh, okay, never mind. My wife will never experience peace. The nation of the Ukraine will not experience peace until Russia stops attacking, right? That's the mindset that we have. When we hear the word peace, we think it is a lack of conflict, but that is not what biblical shalom means. Biblical shalom has more to do with taking things that are broken and putting them back to how they were intended. Bringing about God's will on earth, that is bringing about shalom. So, when Nehemiah recognized that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and he found himself under the Persian king Cyrus, he, he realized that there was no shalom in the city of Jerusalem. And he asked, can I go and rebuild the walls? When he went and rebuilt those walls, he brought shalom to the city of Jerusalem. Or a shepherd, if he has 99 of his 100 sheep, but he's missing just one, there is no shalom in his flock until he goes and finds that missing sheep and brings it back. Or in the story of the prodigal son. Until that son is returned to his father, his father has no shalom. There is no shalom in his home. And this is why we call Jesus our prince of peace or sultan of shalom. You probably have never called him that, but now you can. Jesus is our prince of peace, not because his birth and entrance into our world brought an absence of conflict, just the opposite. We call Jesus our Prince of Peace because he made a way for us prodigals who are disconnected from our Heavenly Father that created us in his image to co-labor alongside of him. We call him our Prince of Peace because through his death and resurrection, he made a way for us prodigals to come home and be reunited with our Father. That is why he's our Prince of Peace, and that is what biblical shalom is. It is not an absence of conflict. It is a returning things to as that God intended them to be. So now I ask you, what does it mean to seek the shalom of the city that God has uniquely planted you in? Or let's make it even smaller. What does it look like to seek the shalom of the sphere of influence where God has uniquely planted you, your neighborhood, your workplace, your golf crew that you hang out with because you're retired and you have the time to get to do that, your, the other students in your class, the people that you're doing life with. What does it look like to seek the shalom there? Well, I, can, I can't speak for those of you who live in Newport Beach or Huntington Beach or Fountain Valley, but what I can tell you is that over the last decade, the church here in Costa Mesa has spent a lot of time prayerfully exploring where, I mean, because before you can seek shalom, you first need to identify what's broken. What is amiss? And over the last decade, we, the church community, have been really intentional about identifying the, the areas of brokenness. We've done that first through, a, through approaching this entire thing through prayer. Prayer 
is the soil out of which anything that we do grows. Without prayer, without inviting God to both open our eyes and to, to show us how he wants to invite us to join him in it, anything that we do will be like taking seeds and throwing them onto the asphalt outside. It will not have the desired effect. We will be wasting our energy. And so for the last, I'd say actually 20 years, the church in Costa Mesa, and when I say the church in Costa Mesa, I am not talking about buildings. There are about 50 or 60 buildings in Costa Mesa that are church buildings. But I'm talking about us. We are the church. And there is only one church in Costa Mesa. Jesus is the head of all of us. We are not in competition with one another. And over the last 20 years, the church in Costa Mesa has begun to gather together and prayerfully seek God of where are you moving and how can we join you in what you're doing? One of the ways that we join in that time is the first Wednesday of every month at noon at City Hall. <clears throat> Christ followers from around our city gather in front of City Hall to lift up our city and oftentimes to pray with many of our civic leaders who will come down from their offices and join in that prayer gathering. We just had one this last Wednesday, the first Wednesday of next month. If you want to join in, I would welcome you to join in in praying because without prayer, we're wasting our time. But through prayer and through conversations with our city leaders and with our chief of police, and just through us who are living here prayerfully going, God, what are the needs around us? We've identified three primary areas of brokenness in our city. And I know that there are some of you who live in other cities. I'm just showing you what we have found here so that you can begin to prayerfully ask, where's the, where's the brokenness? What is amiss in my sphere of influence? And God, how would you invite me to join you in bringing shalom here? So the first area of brokenness that we see is within education, with our kids. And this has become even greater over the last three years with COVID. I can't, I can't remember a time where kids' lives were so thrown upside down and everything was kind of thrown out the window. Kids who were being shaped by their proximity to other kids were suddenly forced to sit in front of a computer. Some of you suffered, but you already had decades of life on life. Many of, some of the kids we're getting in the preschool have never been around other people prior to coming to the preschool. This is their first time being around other kids. That's sobering. I know that as a father of a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, my sons both suffered because of the isolation of these last several years. And so as we have leaned into education, we recognize that there's a lot of schools that are, have a lot, particularly the schools on the east side of Costa Mesa have a lot more resources. The schools on the west side have far fewer resources. One of the difficulties that they experience is that there's, you know, they speak a different language in their homes that they do at school for the most part. Teachers are overwhelmed when they're asked to teach 30 plus children in a single classroom. They're overwhelmed. They're exhausted. And kids are being left behind. Studies show that kids who are not reading at a third grade reading level by the age of third grade have a massive chance of being left behind and many of them end up incarcerated. Like way more kids who are not able to read at a third grade. That is a major hinge point. So one of the areas that we've leaned in is making sure that all third grade 
graders are reading at a third grade reading level. So one of the ways that the church has come alongside the schools is that just about every single school in the Newport Mesa Unified School District has been adopted by a church or a community of Christ followers to come alongside of them. And then they've leaned into that school and said, what are the unique needs here? That means having conversations with the uh, principals and the other administrators. What are the needs that you see here? Sometimes it's going into a classroom and providing tutoring for kids that are being left behind and reading alongside of them. Sometimes it looks like providing resources, backpacks, and other school supplies. Sometimes it simply looks like praying for those teachers and those students and blessing the teachers to remind them, you are seen, you are appreciated, you are doing a tremendously important job. Each school looks slightly different. If you're interested in finding about how you can invest into the education, I would love to introduce you to my friend Terry Lee who oversees that and who can help plug you into a, a really important need in our community. You just need to email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com and I will make sure that I connect you with her. The second area of brokenness in our city, and this will come as probably no surprise to you, is homelessness. In fact, we had a homeless gal camped out in front of our church this morning and when I walked up at 8 a.m., one of our neighbors was actually picking up all of the trash that she had left and you know, we got to sweep up broken glass together because there's a lot of people who don't have a place to live. And I would say that every city has a homeless problem in some way, but it's exacerbated here for two reasons. The first is that we live in a really wonderful climate. It is comfortable here almost all year round. And so it's easy to live on the streets or easier than it would be out in Ohio. The second reason why there are so many homeless in Costa Mesa is because we have per capita more recovery homes in the city of Costa Mesa than in any other metropolitan area in the entire country. We are known as the Rehab Riviera. People will come here from, Ohio, from the East Coast because, hey, if, I'm going, if, if my insurance is going to pay for me to go to alcohol or you know, drug rehab, I might as well go to California. That looks nice. And they get out here and they make it a week or two, and then they just decide, no, nah, you know what, I'm not really into this, and so they drop out. But rather than going back to snowy Ohio, hey, I might as well just stay here. And they end up living on the streets where they have access to fentanyl and other things like that. And we've gone from having an older crew of homeless, whom we mostly knew, to a much younger crew of homeless individuals, many of whom are from out of town, most of whom are dealing with an addiction to fentanyl or something else because they've come out of a recovery home. That is the unique challenge we have here in Costa Mesa. And what the heck are we supposed to do with that when most of us are struggling to be able to make ends meet and keep a roof over our head here, right? When we, many of us can't even afford to buy a house or some of us can't even afford to sell the house that we bought because if we were to try to move someplace else, you know, you couldn't afford to buy into where you are now anyway. How on earth do you begin to care for people who don't have a job, who are addicted, and who are living on the streets? Well, that's the challenge that over the last decade we've been grappling with because it would be the number one challenge that our civic leaders have identified in Costa Mesa. And surprisingly, we've made some really big strides forward. Just to give you an idea, and I'm just going to give you numbers from the last three years. In the last three years, we went from having a bridge shelter that could house six homeless people 
to having a shelter now that can provide a, a safe environment to get people back on their feet for 60 of our homeless brothers and sisters. And that means not only do they have a bed that is safe and a place for them to keep their stuff so they're not just dragging it everywhere they go, but they have meals provided and they can begin to work on getting work. In fact, we provide job opportunities for them. And when I say we, I am not saying me. I haven't done this work. I'm talking about the church in Costa Mesa that has made massive investments of time. There are people who have poured themselves into it, and it's not one church that's doing it. It's many, many churches coming alongside our city leaders and saying, how can we work together to address this? And over the last three years, we've gone from having six beds to 60 beds. In the last three years, we have found housing, provided housing through HUD and other resources for 215 men and women who were living on the streets. That's massive. It gives them the ability to get back on their feet, to find work. And that's all well and good. And that, there's a lot of people I could point to, like John Began, who deserve much of the, the, the praise for that. But here's the number that gets me most excited. It's not the biggest number, but I, I feel like given the fact that we are to seek the shalom of the city we find ourselves in, this number is the most important one. Over the last three years, there are 35 men or women whom the church in Costa Mesa has been able to connect with, find out their story, reconnect them with their family members elsewhere. Remember, they'd come out here for rehab, they find themselves on the street, they don't want to go back to snowy Ohio. And somebody in the, the street team connects with them, builds relationship, finds out that they have family back in Ohio, and they help reconnect them with family. We have been connecting 35 prodigals back to their support structure, wherever that happens to be, helping them begin to do some of the repair work that it's going to take to be able to enter back into their support structure, and then purchasing them a plane ticket a bus ticket, a train ticket, some way to get them home. 35 prodigals have been returned to their home. That don't, not only brings shalom to their life, but it brings shalom to their entire family. And that's something worth celebrating. So homelessness is a huge thing, and if you're interested in finding out how you can help, perhaps at the shelter and serving meals, there's an opportunity for you to do that. Or be part of the street team who's out there connecting with people on the streets and figuring out how we can help them and how we can connect them with the myriad resources that we have in our area. I'd love to get you connected. Just email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com and I will get you plugged in with those teams. The third area of brokenness, and this is the one that is most near and dear to my heart, is the area of that we have come to call neighboring. In fact, we've just spent a month and a half exploring this concept of neighboring, but if you missed any of those conversations or th that word just feels a little bit amorphous, this is what neighboring means to me. Far too often we think that as the church, our job is to be a house of light on this corner to radiate into the surrounding areas, and that is how we will make the greatest impact. We have to worship with the windows open so that they can hear us worshiping and these people who drive by will hear us worshiping and decide, you know what, I'm going to wander in. 
And some of you, that's your story, but very few of you. That doesn't happen very often. Even though we happen to be planted in east side Costa Mesa, it's not often that people will just be wandering along the street and go, ah, I'll go check them out. More often than not, you have found yourself here because somebody that you knew invited you. And you have, and God has uniquely planted you in a sphere of influence around this city or in Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, Fountain Valley, wherever you happen to be, God has uniquely planted you in a sphere of influence. You may not like it. It may not be the most comfortable. It might not be the place that you thought you would be. And as you watch your friends buying goats, you might feel a little bit jealous and say, I can't have a goat or a rooster here. I can't have my own eggs. I don't even have a place for a backyard. I can barely have enough rooms to provide for my entire family. And yet, in this season, God has uniquely planted you here. And we as a church, I as a pastor, feel very strongly that my job is not to be so good up here that everybody will want to flock in here. That, that's a, that, that used to work. It no longer works. The paradigm of the church in the 21st century post-COVID is this. You are the church. And we may come together and celebrate and gather and worship together on a Sunday morning, but you are still an ambassador of the Holy Spirit. You are still an ambassador of our Father God when you walk out of here and when you go and have lunch and when you interact with your neighbors. And there are broken, hurting, isolated, lonely people all around you. There are people who are contemplating suicide that live within a few steps of you. You walk past houses, there are hurting and broken people in most of them. And God in his sovereign wisdom has placed you within proximity to those hurting people and invites you now to join him in being an ambassador of hope to those very people. To, to take the hope that he has planted in your heart and let it spill over into the way that you interact with others. So how do we do this? Neighboring, is it, we, we gather once a month or so to just kind of say, hey, how can we be more intentional about being the church beyond the walls of the church? We also do some service projects. Like a couple of weeks ago, we did Love Costa Mesa Serve Day. We had about 90 different projects around the city of Costa Mesa. I think something like 1,500 people participated in that. It was really fun. But that's a one-day event. That's just a one-off. How do we seek the shalom of the people that God has planted us into proximity to? Well, it looks like beginning to get to know who your neighbors are, beginning to get to know who your sphere of influence is. A couple of weeks ago, actually at the beginning of this series, I gave you this card. Anybody remember getting one of these? Who here, just, just, just to celebrate, who here has actually been using this to pray for people in your sphere of influence? Raise your hand if you have. Good, you just lost all of your jewels in your crown for heaven. I'm just joking, totally. I'm glad that there are some of you who are utilizing this tool. This was not a one-off tool that I wanted to throw out to you just to have something to give you. 
This is something that we spent a lot of time designing to help equip you to begin to identify the people that God has uniquely planted in your sphere of influence. Identify who they are and to begin regularly praying for those people on that list. Begin looking for ways that you can invite them to come alongside of you and, and enter into your life. If they're working in their backyard and you overhear them, then maybe walk around the fence and go, hey, what are you working on? You need help? Or if you need help moving something or you need to borrow something, rather than just going to the store where you could buy more salt, go and knock on their door. Hey, do you have any salt I could borrow? It's amazing how much people want to have something to offer. And it's amazing how starved people are for community. This is simply a tool to help you move along in that and be more intentional about where God has uniquely planted you. If you do not currently have this and are not currently using it, I implore you to grab one of these before you leave. We have a bunch of them on the table out in the foyer. Grab one and begin prayerfully considering whose name belongs on this and begin praying for them. You will be amazed at how God begins to open up opportunities. And as you're praying for them, seek the shalom of that sphere of influence that God has uniquely planted you in. Pray to the Lord for it. For as this sphere of influence experiences shalom, you will experience shalom. Now, one last question I have for you is, what does that even mean? As, as the city or the sphere of influence you find yourself in experiences shalom, you will experience shalom. I mean, is that just a trite saying like a, a rising tide raises all ships? Is that just some statement that as your city prospers, you will prosper? Or is there something deeper to it than that? I would suggest to you that it has more to do with, with what happens inside of your own heart when you begin to look past your own needs to the needs of others around you. You don't have to take my word for it. Let me share a story of how I've seen this play out just in the last few weeks. <clears throat> I love, love, love Costa Mesa Serve Day. It's really fun, but it's only once a year. And there are some people in our city who, for them, they just go, you know what, I want more of that. That's a, getting to serve another person and care for a tangible need is addicting. And so they, we've, we've started this thing called Labors of Love, where once a month we identify a need in our community and we invite people to jump in and do something about it. This last weekend, it was helping clear out a hoarder's home. That became a two-day project. For anybody who's ever watched the show Hoarders, you understand why. Uh, the, one, the project before it, however, it was the first one that we did, was actually serving a woman who's been part of our church community, a woman named Mary, who is a retired surgeon. And Mary, as she has gotten old, she, Mary loves being in her garden. That is her Gethsemane. That's where she goes to just relax and be close to God. But as she's gotten older and her health has deteriorated, Mary was unable to care for her garden and it, it was out of shalom. It was not as she desired it to be. And she didn't have the ability to do the work in it that she needed. And so about a month ago, about 20 Christ followers from around our city all came together Actually, some of them weren't even Christ followers. They're just 20 neighbors from Costa Mesa all came together to love on Mary and bring shalom to her garden. 
Two of those neighbors that showed up were Dan and Henny. They both shared their story publicly, so I feel okay in sharing it with you as well. Dan and Henny had never met in person, but they'd had lots of interaction on social media, and none of it was positive. They tend to see th the world from very opposite sides of the spectrum, so whenever one of them would post something, the other, and typically it was Henny, who is more kind of politically active, Dan would come in and just start railing her social, on social media. It got so contentious, in fact, that Henny finally had to block Dan on all of her social media accounts because it just became really, really contentious. And now all of a sudden, here they are working side by side to dig out a cactus of all things, which I think is really beautiful because Here's the man who's been a thorn in her side, and they get to dig out a cactus together, right? It's beautiful. It took Henny about 45 minutes, by the way, of working alongside Dan to realize who he was. And when she realized who it was, she didn't come straight out and tell him. But about 15 minutes later, she finally scraped together the courage and said, Hey, you don't know this, but I, we actually know one another. I'm this person that you've been kind of... And he goes, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that was you. It's like, yeah, I'm a bit of a troll online. I basically, I, I, I just say whatever comes to mind on social media. I, I don't, I'm not really that way in real life. I wonder how many of you would identify with those words, right? You speak much more forcefully on social media than you do in real life. Dan says, now that I know you, I totally won't approach you in the same way. Thanks, right? But um, anyway... They finished up digging out the cactus, and at the end of the day, they all took a picture together, and Dan and Henny took a picture next to where the cactus had been, and they went home. Henny gets home, and she's showing, sharing pictures with her husband of what the day looked like, and she gets to a picture of her and Dan next to one another, and he goes, why would you take a picture of you and your enemy? Why would you do that? And I love the way Henny responded to him. She goes, oh, he's not my enemy. He's my friend. When we seek the shalom of others, oftentimes we experience shalom in our own life. When we seek to care for other hurting people, even people that we would consider to be enemies, oftentimes we will realize that those are just other hurting people and enemies can become friends. At the very least, they can become neighbors that we begin to care about. And God invites us to join Him in loving. So seek the shalom of the city into which you have been carried in exile, regardless of whether you want to be here or not. For as long as God has got you here, be willing to put down roots and commit Pray to the Lord for your sphere of influence, for as it experiences shalom, you will experience shalom. And we're going to put this into practice right now. We're going to take about seven minutes or so to begin praying for our city. Wherever your city is, and at home, you guys can participate, so don't log off right now. Stay with us. I want to invite you to get into groups of three or four, even if it's people that you don't know. That's okay. We're going to clump up into groups of three or four, and we are going to pray for our city. And there's a few areas specifically I want to invite you to pray for. 
Do we have anything up there? Yes, no, maybe so. There we go. Pray for those in your sphere of influence. So the people that you've already identified on these cards, pray for them as well as the hurting, the lonely, the isolated in our midst, and invite God to show you how to join him in bringing shalom to our city, okay? Move, get together, and begin praying together. I know you probably have stories you want to share with people, but I, God already knows them, knows them by name. So you just start praying. He'll fill in the context that needs to be shared.
Father God, we, um, I am grateful for the prayers that have already begun here today. I'm grateful for practicing, doing what you have called us to do. I thank you for this place that you have called us. Some of us feel like exiles in a place that doesn't feel like home anymore. And yet here is where you have us. And until you sovereignly call us out, may we be willing to put down roots. And rather than being tumbleweeds that are just one gust away from moving on. And until then, of being absolutely incapable of changing our environment or willing to invest in it. May we be the kind of people who put down deep roots that you use to terraform this place. To change the culture to bring shalom into the city, into the sphere of influence that you have sovereignly planted us because we believe you brought us here. Would you open our eyes to where you are moving so that we know how to join you in that? Would you place people on our hearts and show us how we can join you in coming alongside of them? I pray for my brothers and my sisters in here. I pray for myself that you would set up divine appointments for us. We know there's a lot of needs and we can't address all the needs, but God, would you show us the ones that you are calling us to lean into? We pray that you would bring shalom into this city. We pray that you would bring shalom into our spheres of influence and we pray that you would bring shalom into our own lives. Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Let's worship together.
for another hour and just keep worshiping. I thank you so much for coming and leading us this morning. But I got good news. 
Worship doesn't stop just because we stop singing. We worship in a lot of ways, as we're going to find over the next couple of months as we dive into worship. But I will tell you this, this is when true worship begins, as you go out into your mission field, as the church gets out of the building, you get to join God in what he's already up to. He loves every single one of the men and women who are hurting and struggling and isolated and lonely. And he's inviting you to join him in that. If you don't already have one of these cards and you're not already praying regularly for your sphere of influence, please grab one on the way out. If you want something to invite them to, you don't necessarily even need to invite them to Sunday morning. Invite them to come with you on Friday to the beach bonfire. Invite them to get to know Christ followers in, you know, outside in kind of neutral territory. That might be fun. You are the church. So Lighthouse, go be the church. Have a wonderful week.